Hey, my name is Ben. I'm part of the staff team here at HTC. Uh, and tonight we're going to continue our series in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And um, looking at this theme, hope and holiness in a hostile world. And um, Michael and, and, and Jago, they kicked off our series looking at hope and what that, what that looked like for the church in Thessalonica. And, uh, and then Tim and Jamie, they've been looking recently at, at holiness, uh, holy living, what it looks like. Um, and tonight, I'm going to kind of swing back towards hope. We're going to look at hope tonight. Uh, Paul, he speaks to the church in this letter on questions and topics that have been raised uh, in the light of living in a secular and hostile environment, and it can sound awfully familiar to today. So if you're at the end of a pew, grab a Bible, grab a Bible. We're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 on page 1188, 1188. Don't worry, if we run out of Bibles, it's going to be up on the Sky Bible behind me. Brilliant. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Someone say amen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety... Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, Get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer off, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether wake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, what are you waiting for? Amazing. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, what are you waiting for? Amazing. Amazing. Should we pray? Let me pray. And then we're going we're gonna to go into that. So, Father God, would you come right now? And by your spirit, would you take the words that I've put on, on a page and would you use them for your glory? Lord, would you be speaking? 
Would your spirit sweep through this place? And Lord, we ask that you would receive all the glory. Holy Spirit, calm and fill us now, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you're waiting for something? It might be the bus or the tube on your way to work. It could be uh, that you're waiting for a birthday or for Christmas or Easter that's coming up. Uh, But, you know, it could also be a person. You're waiting for someone. It could be uh, for a meeting. It could be at a date. It could be birth. And I remember when, um, when Jem was, was pregnant with Winston, um, you know, from that moment of the we on the stick, we began this nine-month-long journey of waiting. Um, and, you know, we had slightly different experiences during those nine months, but we joined on this journey together of waiting. And waiting for a baby is a very, very funny thing. I've never tracked time like it before. Um, at church, we kind of... We think termly, seasonally, some of us think liturgical calendar-wise. Um, but, but in this moment of waiting, we actually started to think of days and weeks. Uh, and it all became quite long, um, but exciting at the same time. So from that we on the stick moment, the first big milestone is the 12 to 14-week scan that you have. Uh, and then... After that, there's 16 weeks, there's a doctor's appointment. After that, 18 to 20 weeks, there's another scan, and you find out the sex of the baby. Um, and then in between that and the due date, there's every two to four weeks, there's kind of a few more meetings and appointments with doctors and midwives. Um, but then you get the due date, and, and there's this two-week window either side of the due date where the baby could come at any moment. It's terrifying. And whilst all that is going on, Jen has downloaded this app, uh, which it tells her how big Winston is um, in, in her tummy and, and like what stuff is growing at the same time. So at four weeks, he's the size of a poppy seed. Uh, at 10 weeks, he's the size of an olive. Uh, at 20 weeks, he's the si- no, at 30 weeks, sorry, he's the size of a cabbage. And at 35 weeks, he's the size of a honeydew melon. Which doesn't seem crazy now, obviously, that he's like a little boy, but like a honeydew melon inside you is kind of, yeah. Time is a funny, funny thing. And at some stage, we're all waiting for something. We're all caught in this moment of waiting. Uh, And I've mentioned some trivial examples, but how often do we find ourselves waiting for the one? Or waiting to be recognized, or waiting for the promotion or waiting for results to come back. How often are we waiting? What are you waiting for? Paul, he starts this section uh, talking about something that we're probably not waiting for, but something that actually awaits all of us. Death. Thought last week's talk on sex was heavy. Buckle up. Read with me. Verses 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Paul, in last week's message, he talks about Christian living. He talks about how we are to, you know, how, what areas are we growing in, growing in sex, in, in relationships with each other, in our work. He kind of challenges those, those things. But this week, he, he turns from Christian living to Christian dying. How are we to be in Christian life and in Christian death? Well, Paul, he reminds us that we're set apart 
This is what this letter is to the Thessalonian church. They're in this hostile environment. They're set apart. We aren't to be like the rest of the world when it comes to death. Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, as it was known in ancient Greek time, and the common thought at the time around death uh, was absolutely, it was, it was quite different to what we picture death today. Uh, and so basically, when you died, you went to the underworld, and there's a whole series of paths that you went on until you ended up where you ended up. So basically, somebody died, uh, and a coin, when they were buried, a coin was put in their mouth, and the coin was to pay the ferryman that you meet down in the, the beginning of the underworld, and he takes you on this journey across like, kind of some sort of death version of Calais, across this channel to a place called the Asphodel Fields. And in these fields, you wander around for, for what can possibly seem like eternity. And eventually, you, you meet these three judges, and they, they look at your life, and they say, if you were good, if you lived a good life, if everything was all moral and things, you went to a place called Elysium, which was this lovely, beautiful resting place. Um, or if you had lived bad life and you'd done horrible things, you went further into the underworld to be with Hades. Um, but if they weren't sure, if these, if these judges weren't sure what to do with you, they basically sent you to the back of the queue and you went all the way through the Asphodel fields again until they, you met them and this process could go on and go on and go on. So in ancient Greek time, there wasn't a lot of certainty or hope when it came to death. Paul says, don't be like this. Don't be uncertain. Don't think like the locals do. And today, church, don't think like the locals do. Don't believe in karma or reincarnation or nothingness. Don't believe we're just going to be worm food. How are we to be in death? Full of fear? No. Full of confusion? No. What does it say at the end of verse 13? What's the word there? We're to be full of hope. Paul says, he says, church, be re assured. If we've placed our trust in Jesus, if we call him Lord and Savior, we can face death with hope. He continues, Paul, in verse 14, he says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul, he's reassuring the church that those who have, who have died pre-Jesus, he's saying, don't worry, you will see them again in eternity. Don't worry, be reassured. And then Paul's perspective, it shifts from, from looking at death and looking down to he, he looks up towards Christ and towards Christ's return. He says all these, the, the, these sleepers, they will be risen again when Christ comes and we will be raised too. And it's just, what a beautiful image that, that death is for us in Christ is, is sleeping until he calls us again. It's not a full stop, but it's a comma until Christ comes and calls us. Paul, he, he, or, he also encourages the church that Christ won't just call us back to him, but he will come again. HDC, Jesus will come again. Amen? He will come again. And we will either be asleep in death or we'll get caught up in it. What a great picture. What a great moment that will be. And so, we ask the question, what are you waiting for? But I suppose the other question we could ask is, how are you waiting? How are you waiting? Will it be full of grief and darkness? 
or will it be full of hope and light? Now, don't get me wrong. Death is unexplainably awful and horrible, and I won't be able to begin to articulate the depths of it. But when we have Christ as our hope and as our anchor, we can look forward to that with hope. A friend of mine, um, she gave me permission to tell this story. Um, and just as a, as a warning, I might cry, so bear with me. Um, a friend of mine, she was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, and she's been on this journey about 15 months, and um, she made some, some fantastic strides uh, in recovery. She went to uh, America for some state-of-the-art treatment, and was funded, and it was, it was brilliant. And actually, on February 1st this year, she was cancer-free, and you know, her, her family, we all, we all celebrated. She'd been given the all clear. She went back to work. She started her life again, and it was all amazing. But then three weeks later, um, some results came back from another test that had happened, and they said, um, you know, the, the cancer from where we've been treating has gone, as we've already told you. But in the meantime, the cancer has spread elsewhere, and has spread insanely quickly. Um, and she now has about a year to live. She's 23, 24 years old. Waiting. Her family waiting. And what has her response been through this journey of waiting? It's been to choose joy. Choose joy. It's been her motto. And I just want to read you something that she has written recently. It's going to come up on the screen. She says, Joy is certain of the future and contentment in my ultimate destination. It's the understanding that above all else, God is consistently faithful and abundantly loving. It's the fundamental knowledge that Jesus has gone before me and defeated death through his resurrection. He knows my darkest fears and gives me hope of eternal life in his new kingdom. I am certain, she writes, that I'll meet Jesus face to face in heaven, not an ethereal place made of wispy clouds, but a real physical place, as real as planet Earth, where God resides and where we will eternally live in peace. And how has she come to that conclusion? How has she gotten to the point that in the face of such destructive work, to say, I choose joy. Well, it's through her hope, through the hope that she has in Jesus and her family, they all are united in the hope that they have for Jesus. And they know that one day they will see her again in eternity. They know one day they will be able to praise and worship Jesus in eternity together. And when that day comes, it will be a horrible day. It will be awful, but we can look forward with hope, knowing that Jesus has gone before has defeated the grave, and has risen again. Amen? Be assured, church, Christ is coming and will come again and take us to be with him. Hold on to the hope that you have. Verse 18, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Christ died, he rose again. Verse 17, we will be with the Lord forever. What a beautiful, we could finish there. 
beautiful picture that we will be with the Lord forever. This is the encouragement, church. This is what Paul was encouraging the church in Thessalonica. And this is the encouragement today. Christ will come again and we will be with him. You've probably heard the quote, but D.L. Moody, who's a famous American evangelist, he once said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I, uh, I've gone up uh, In that moment, I should be more alive than I am now. I should have gone up higher, that is all. And out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Death is not the end, church. We have a hope. We have a living hope, and his name is Jesus. Amen? What are you waiting for? How are you waiting? Is it full of hope? Is it full of confidence? Is it with an upward gaze towards Christ? Now, Paul, he moves on into chapter 5 to address the day. He goes to address the time when Christ will come again. And he gives us three helpful points in how that we as a body can be ready for his return. Read with me the beginning of chapter 5. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But... You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. You see, Paul is encouraging the church, again, that Christ will return and we need to be ready. He says that that this day is going to come like a thief in the night. We're not going to know when it is, so we've got to be ready. You know, these people who try and predict when Christ is coming throughout the ages, you know, it's, it's... Pointless, because we don't know the day, but we are to be ready. So point number one, we need to be alert. It's like the parable that Jesus told about the, the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids, uh, and how these, the, these ten ladies were given lamps and oil, and their job was to wait uh, at, the, at the marital house for the bride and the bridegroom. They would be going from one place and they'd parade through the street and they would come to the other house. And the way that they would come is, and they'd know the way to go is because of these, these uh, ten bridesmaids who had the lamps and they would light the way. Um, but, you know, there's a wedding party happens. You don't know when it's going to finish. Um, and so you're, you know, they're waiting. And so some of them, they use the oil and, and the lamps that they have, uh, and they, they light them. It's dark, it's cold, and so they light their lamps whilst they wait. Uh, and the others, they don't. They, they wait. Uh, they're just holding on. And then eventually the bridegroom, he comes down the road, and people are coming with this big procession, and that's the moment for the bridesmaids to kick into action. They need to be ready for that moment, need to be alert, but some of them have already used their lamps. And so the ones who haven't are ready. They've turned them on. They're ready. But those who have, they can't join in the procession. They can't welcome in the bridegroom at that moment. We need to be alert. We don't know when Christ is coming, but we need to be living with hope, being ready. And how are we to be ready? How are we to wait? Well, verse 6 goes on. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. We are to be awake. 
Paul, he compares how we are to be with how we're not meant to be. Uh, He says to the church uh, and to us today to be awake, be in the light, not like the others that he talks about earlier in the passage. And what are they like? Verse 7, they're sleeping, getting drunk, and all of it's happening at night, in the dark, the opposite of the light. Church, there are some of us here today who need to wake up. There are some of us who need to wake up to Jesus. We need to stop hitting the snooze button of Jesus' message and wake up. It's a challenge for us all. But we need to step out of the dark and move into the night. We can't carry on living like the rest of the gang outside. We are called to be set apart. We are children of light. That's our new identity. Wake up, says Paul. And when he comes on to this, this topic of, of alcohol I don't th- and getting drunk, it's not just the mere consumption of it, but I think he's touching on something far deeper, something far greater. You know, when, when you drink lots of alcohol and you get drunk, you become slightly disorientated and slightly uh, desensitized to what it is that's going on. Your vision goes blurry. Christ, uh, church, are some of us desensitized to Christ? Are some of us numb to the message of Christ? Uh, Jamie spoke on this so brilliantly the other week, and I implore you to please go and listen to this. But the day is today, church. Christ is calling you. Wake up, Paul says. Wake up. Be ready for Christ's return. And finally, point number three. Paul, he encourages us to be armed. Read with me verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if the band could come and join me. Paul says we need to arm ourselves with faith, with hope, and with love. He says, put on these gifts that Jesus has given us. Put them on so all can see. People notice what we wear. Uh, You know, for Jamie, for Michael, when they have their dog collar on, people are like, you're a vicar. Can you pray with me? Or, you know, when sometimes when you, if, if you're wearing like a, a, a nurse's or a doctor's uniform, people are like, oh, like I've got this problem. Can you, you know, they notice. If you've got a sports shirt on, they're like, oh, you must be a fan. If you've got a police uniform on, they're like, I best not steal. You get the point. People see what it is that we're wearing. They take note. Just like my friends in the story I shared earlier. People can see the hope that she has. People can see the faith that she has in Jesus. They can see it all over her. She's put on faith and hope, and she's pointing people to Jesus. Church, have we got our spiritual armor on today? When people look at us, do they see that we are marked by Jesus? Do they see faith, hope, and love? Or do they simply see us stumbling about drunkenly in the dark? You see, Jesus took our suffering on the cross for us. Paul says, we're not destined for the dark, but we are destined for the light. 
You know, we're, gonna, we're coming up to Easter shortly, and that's what we're going to celebrate. Jesus taking all of the punishment on our behalf. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this, this constant image uh, of cups, this image of the cup of salvation and the cup of wrath. Uh, and it's, you know, the cup that Jesus refers to in the garden when he says, Father, take this cup from me. This cup of wrath, he says, take it from me. Yet your will be done. And there on the cross as he hung, God's wrath, the cup of God's wrath was poured out. Was poured out in Jesus when it should have been poured out on us. And instead, we don't receive that cup, but we get to drink from a very different cup. A cup that we're going to drink from later this evening. A cup of hope and a cup of salvation. Amen? We're not called to suffer wrath. We're not called to be children of the light, says Paul, but we are called to hope. We are called to live a life of hope whilst we wait for Christ's return. Faith, hope, love. We drink from the cup of salvation. And the best way to wait with hope for the future is to look back towards the cross, and that's what we're going to do. But at the same time, we also get to look forward to the great banquet that's to come in heaven. We get to look forward to eternity with Christ. We get to look forward to the moment when he comes on the clouds, and he says, child, come home. Should we stand? band are going to lead us shortly. We're going to sing of this, this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. But before we get there, I want to pray for those. I want to pray for those who, who are like, yeah, maybe tonight I'm spiritually asleep. I think there are, I think there are two sets of sleepers. The first are those who simply don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the second are those who do, yet are, are asleep. Though We've heard this before. Great, Ben. Thanks for the presentation, for the lecture. It's been really helpful, but I've heard it before. Jesus saying today, wake up. So can we pray for the first group? Is that all right? with every eye closed and head, heads bowed. And if you want to be included in this prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, the one who received the cup of wrath on your behalf, if that's you, just as all our eyes are closed, heads bowed, would you just shoot up a hand for me? It's just helpful to, to do an outward sign of what's happening on the inside. Thank you. Anybody else? Amazing. Let's, let's pray for that person. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You might want to echo this in your heart. It's a very simple prayer that says, thank you, sorry, and please. Lord Jesus, thank you 
that you received the death that I should have received. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took my sin, all of the things that go against you and your word, you took them upon yourself on my behalf, and I thank you. Lord, I'm sorry for those things that I've done that has separated me from you. I'm sorry, but thank you that you come, draw near. Lord, please draw near now. Would you come into my life, Lord Jesus? And for the second group of people, those who are Jesus followers, but are spiritually asleep, with every eye closed and every head bound, if you're like, actually, today I need to wake up. I've been hitting snooze and rolling over far too many times. If that's you, and you say, Lord, just reignite that passion in my heart, would you just shoot up a hand for me as well? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over. Lord Jesus, would you pour out your spirit now upon these guys? Thank you. You are a God of grace, a God of second chances. Lord Jesus, now ignite the fire in every heart that says, Lord, I want to wake up to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Ignite the fire again.